Without further ado, I want to invite up our speaker. Um, I've known this man very intimately for a very long time, and I can tell <laughs> that um, I can assure you, like his 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 sermons are biblical, they are practical, and um, and insightful, right? But more important than that, I know it's not it's not just him here telling you what we ought to be doing, but it is something that he lives out as well. So welcome, our senior pastor. The love of my life other than Jesus. <laughs> so good. We need to do this more often so that my wife like says good things about me before I... <laughs> okay. Hey, um, yeah, it's actually, um, it's pretty exciting that we've got this coming week that we're joining in together with what all the different Whitehorse churches are doing through, in fact, all of Australia with the National Day of Prayer um, and even our church-wide prayer, uh, you know, even though our attendant, we, this is, we're going to do it multi-times in the year. Um, we've done it earlier this year. Even though our attendance drops, we'll still go ahead and do it because it is important. Um, I, I, I like to think of um, joining together with other people a bit like the, the tug of war. You know, when people go like, one, two, three, pull. I'm usually the least contributor in any tug of war, you know, thing. But if, I, if they go one, two, three, pull, and I pull at one, and I'm like, I'm just going to, I'll literally make no difference to the movement of that string. But despite how weak I am, if I'm pulling when everybody else in my team is pulling, we, we stand a chance. We've got a good chance. And to coordinate 28 churches in Whitehorse to pray together to, as we cycle through, that is a feat in itself. To coordinate the entire nation of Australia to pray together on the National Day of Prayer, that is a feat in itself. And so I want to encourage you. I know man just spoke about it, but I want to double down on it. Um, we need to pray together and work in unity with our brothers and sisters. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have intended our faith to be in the real world. Uh, we thank you that your word is not just concepts of stories of dreamland and fantasy worlds, but Lord God, that your very scripture is embedded into the real world that we live in and that you sent your son into this real world. You gave us your scripture from this world and your intention is for us to live out our faith in this real world. So as I preach, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would uh, move um, and carry these words, that they would uh, be inspired by you as we anchor on scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's get right into it. We live in a world where many trillions of dollars are going towards making things easy for you. It's actually the best way to get you to spend money or to do things. If we remove the obstacles from you spending your money, if we make it easy for you to click or to keep watching whatever it is that you're watching, if we make it easy for you to just send your kids to some tuition or to some school and you just need to pay us money, 
my goodness, we can actually get a lot of money, right? This is, this is what the whole secular economy runs off of. Make things that, are, that you want people to do, make it easy for them to do it. Unfortunately, uh, this then bleeds into Christian and church life, right? Let's, as a church, let's make it easy to be a Christian. Hey, why don't we make it easy for you to raise a Christian family? All you need to do is to pick a good church and hopefully... It does that well for you. Our kids' ministry, our youth ministry is pretty amazing. The Sunday preacher is pretty good. Well, uh, in case you hadn't realized, this is not that church. <laughs> we're, we're, not that, we're not that church that goes around making things easy. Um, in fact, I'm really convinced that making Christian life too easy and readily available without having you need to pay any close attention is actually one of the reasons why the modern church is in decline. How is it that I'm not talking about FGA, uh, right? I'm sure you guys are really fantastic, right? But how is it that today's modern church is creating Christians that don't read the Bible regularly? That have not read through the very scripture. When, when it began, all the early Christians had to memorize the Torah. Memorize. By the time they hit their bar mitzvah. How is it that we are raising up a generation of people that don't pray at home? That can't be. In this era, when we have the most advanced, sophisticated church in the history of churches, where we can do pre-ordered food in advance, we can online stream to all around the world, I can even use chat GPT to help me make my sermon better. Oh my goodness, we, this is the world that we live in right now, where it can be done so well, so easy, and yet, some of these real world things that have always been baked into every single disciple, every single requirement that is in our Bible, they're just not getting done. Just not getting done. That's why at FGA, we've been very deliberately changing up the way we do things. We've been trying our hardest to buckle against this trend. Church must never get so polished that ordinary people, the people who make up the body of Christ of the local church, cannot use their gifts. They can't, they can't be an active part of what we do. I'm so glad that we had Ruth speaking last Sunday at Mother's Day. That was a rocking Mother's Day service. I mean, like, Megan was promoting the... 4 p.m., it's because we had 150 people in the lobby that couldn't make it into this service. That's why we're trying to say, hey, maybe consider going to the 4 p.m. because, like, it's really crowded here, 4 p.m., right? Um, but I, I love that we had today, we had timeless worship here with our, it's called timeless, but basically, if you're older, you can be in worship, right? But, <laughs> hey, I think... That was really good. I, that was, that's really, really good, right? You know why? Because we don't want, like, we don't want to get to a stage where church worship is, like, so polished and so good that when you worship at home, you're like, ah, I don't feel like worshiping God at all. Or when you try and teach uh, the Bible to your children at home, you're like, ah, it's not, 
Sunday school. Sunday school is so sophisticated. You, we don't want to become this church where you sit down and you go, you know what? I'm just going to leave it to the real pros up there to speak, to, to, to run home groups, to, to, lead, to play drums. We had like, I think like 15 or so like drum, drum people come for the Thursday uh, drum info thing that they were doing. Amazing. We must fight against the dynamic where church is so fancy and that home faith or real world faith becomes dull. Because how well we do church is actually not the main criteria. It's not. When we individually go up and meet God, He's not going to say, how well did your church service go? He's going to go, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's going to look at your life, the things that He has given to you as His gifts to you, His talents that He has entrusted you with. And then He's going to ask you, what did you do with that? What did you do with that? So our goal actually needs to be help as a church, needs to be helping you have faith in this real world. But here's, so before we get into today's, this is all my intro. I'll go really fast today. Um, two things I want to sort of say. The first is that anything worthwhile actually requires courage. You know, anything worthwhile. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about Barnabas today, but I want to say a few things that are related around courage. Firstly, in, in this world where everyone is trying to make things easy, low risk, low effort, you'll discover that it actually takes courage to live well, to follow God's call, and to do what He has made you to do. And it's not just in the epic things of the kingdom that require courage, which, let me tell you, if you want to do things for the kingdom of God, it will require courage. It will require you to go out on missions to places that you've not been, to speak to people who have not heard the gospel. It will require you to stand up for things that maybe you'll be ridiculed for. It does require you to break into the community that might be hostile to Christianity, right? All these things. But you know what? Even if you lay aside Christian-y type things, it takes courage to live your actual life well, right? I mean... If you really want to get to know your wife and you want to have this amazing love relationship with deep intimacy, I'll tell you what, it takes you courage to face your own biases, your own issues. It'll take courage to persist on working on that marriage. If you just want to like sit around and play computer games your entire marriage, I'll tell you what, it's not going to be a very close, intimate marriage. If you want to help the community, if you want to make a difference in this world, it'll take courage to step out. You remove courage from the equation and all that will remain within your reach is mediocre, easy things. Like the next level of Candy Crush. Whatever it is. These things, they don't take courage. They just take grinding of you constantly doing the same thing again and again. Great things are on the other side of courage. But here's the second thing. So anything worthwhile requires courage, but courage is actually required in the doing. Um, I know that sentence doesn't make sense. I actually had ChatGPT give me 10 other versions of this, and I didn't like any of the other versions. Okay. You don't really need courage 
if you are just thinking about something, or if you're believing something, if you have a belief inside, but you never intend to act on that belief, ever, you don't really need courage. For example, it takes courage to admit your faults to other people. But just realizing that you're wrong and never admitting it or never doing anything about it, well, that doesn't actually take courage. Maybe it takes self-awareness, maybe it takes wisdom or, or something, but it doesn't take any courage to just like think it. Imagine my wife, so here's this, I'm going to try and start with an example that we can all kind of relate to, hopefully. And, and also I'm going to start easy with something small. So imagine my wife says to me, ah, there's a spider in our bedroom. Like spider in our bedroom. Hey, Chris, man of the house, whatever it is, solve it. And then I go, I go, well, what if I just talk about it? So then I talk about, hey, there's that spider. I reckon, you know, we sprayed the thing, right? If I say, hey, here's my plan, I'm, I spend, you know, days and weeks formulating an amazing plan to ethically remove the spider and relocate it to a good natural habitat, you know, somewhere else. Imagine if I get a bumper sticker and I stick it on my car, you know, with a spider symbol with the, you know, like, the, the no spider symbol, and it says spider resolver or whatever it is, right? Maybe I have a bunch of guys that then regular every week come to my house and we have a small group, yeah? And we discuss how we are going to get rid of the spider. Or every morning I journal today, the spider has moved closer to our bed. <laughs> uh, you know, I think if I, you know, whatever, right? But what if like one day, one week, one month, one year passes and now there's a whole family of spiders <laughs> living in our bedroom uh, and I never do it. Why? Why do I never do it? Because I'm scared of spiders. It actually takes zero courage for me to do any of those other things like talking about the spider, journaling about the spider, imagine calling friends to talk about it. All of those things do not actually require courage. Courage is required in the doing. Okay? So that's my quick spider analogy. Okay. So these two things, they're pretty much true. But because of this, we can get into this myth though. Okay, great. I want to do great things, right? And, and courage is required in the doing, so I'm going to do great things, right? But sometimes we can fall into this myth that actually we then, all by ourselves, are supposed to then muster up the courage to do these great things. That is, I'm a grown man. It's my responsibility to then be a man and deal with that spider myself. I need the courage to do the things that are necessary and important in life. We're told by our Asian parents, do it. We're told by our spouses, you do it. Right? We're expected by our community to just be courageous. But today I want to change that myth because we are not meant to stand alone in life. And our biblical person for today is going to be an example of that. This is going to be a very different courage message. In fact, we're going to go to Barnabas, the son of 
encouragement. So in this series, we've been looking at real world people from the Bible, and we're going to see how they live their life. You know, we did Mary and she, uh, last week, and she dealt with unexpected things that came up in her life that we can all relate, right? Um, but now we're going to look at Barnabas, son of encouragement, a person who I'm sure was courageous in his own right, but actually was named Barnabas because of the courage he was able to put into someone else's life. He was encourager. Okay, so let's read. Acts 4, 36 to 37. Thus Joseph, his actual, Barnabas' name was actually Joseph. I don't know if you know this, but Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. And then afterwards, he's just called Barnabas. So it's not the name that his parents gave him. It's the name that his reputation gave him. Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, right? That's in the uh, uh, Aram Aram, uh, language. Okay. Uh, He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And the first thing you hear about him is he sold a field that belonged to him And he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's what we know about him, right? He wasn't always called Barnabas. His reputation, the things that he did, made people say, hey, this guy is like his father, his encouragement. He's the son of encouragement. And right from the get-go, you see that his version of encouragement is not just flattery. It's not like, You are so amazing. You are really good. His way of encouragement, which is why I want to spend most of today actually expanding your category of encouragement, expanding what encouragement means. But you meet Barnabas and what he's doing instead of just hitting the heart button on a WhatsApp message. Yes, thumbs up. He's actually selling his field and putting his resources to give courage or to allow things to then happen that are courageous and amazing. That's how you meet this guy. So I want to, uh, as we start, I want to get away from the most common view that we would have of encouragement. Which, now don't get me wrong, it's great to encourage one another verbally. I'm not saying, hey, don't, don't say that, you know, hey, you're really good or yeah, you're, you can do it. That's, that's fantastic. But too often, that is our entire category for encouragement. The reply to the WhatsApp message, the I'm going to hit like on somebody. Somebody's going on this Ubon mission trip and they're doing some amazing things. You know what? I'm going to sow courage into these guys that are going to Ubon. What I'm going to do is when you post, I'm going to click like. <laughs> I hope that transforms your life. <laughs> you know, encourage doesn't just mean like flatter or these kinds of things. Encouragement, so a good definition uh, of encouragement um, is giving someone confidence or boldness to do something. All right? That means you're putting courage, encourage, you're putting courage into someone else. And it encompasses a lot of things. When someone is unable to do something, when they lack the courage to do something, the encourager jumps in 
and puts courage into them. And this would mean by not just, it's not just speaking. I'm not just talking about speaking. Because we're now going to look at examples of, from Barnabas' life of what he did to, I think, get the name Son of Encouragement. I'm going to go through a lot of Bible verses and go through it pretty quick because I do want to get to the application of this. But uh, I'm also conscious that over the last few weeks, we haven't had like heaps and heaps of Bible teaching because we're trying to make it more real world. So today is your Bible teaching day. Okay, let's look at Barnabas. Barnabas stood up for Paul. You can be an encourager by standing up for someone else. And I don't know if you fully appreciate how hard it was for Paul to get accepted by the church. Because Paul's original name was Saul. And Saul was actually famous for killing Christians. So here you've got this guy. He's like, really probably the most famous opponent of Christianity. He's got this life transformation, and then he's trying to get into FGA leadership or whatever it is. Ah, he's trying to like get into the thing, right? Hey, let me introduce you to this guy. He comes from another church. He used to be killing Christians, but... <laughs> you know, he met God, right? Whatever. So Acts 9, it tells this amazing story. Acts 9, 26, you should read. Acts is the book, by the way, that we're going right into for our Bible reading. So it's actually really exciting. But um, this is Paul. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Oh, come on, let me in. But they were all afraid of him because they did not believe that he was a disciple. Very understandable. Okay, because he's not the Paul who's written all these New Testament letters yet. He hasn't even been allowed into the group yet. He's Saul, as they remember it. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on how, the, on the road that he, had, um, that he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. What it means is, and the Bible doesn't have a lot of details, but here's the short version of it. Barnabas helped make this happen. Helped make Paul get accepted. It takes courage to accept somebody that you don't know who was a killer of Christians. The disciples needed courage. The church needed courage to make this very bold, unprecedented step that would turn out to be such a pivotal step in the proclamation of the gospel to Gentiles of which all of us are in getting the gospel here to Australia. Now, sure, a lot of that is on God and Jesus who showed up to Paul and Paul has a lot of credit to it. But my goodness... There was a moment where it wasn't Paul's courage. It wasn't the disciples' courage. It was an encourager who sold into a situation to help it happen. That's not just like nice, supportive words. That is actually lending his own credibility, his own um, name, I guess, to vouch for somebody else 
And maybe that's something you can do as you encourage a, a new young person who's getting into the ministry or, or doing something for Christ. You can allow, maybe you're already very stable. Maybe you have uh, connections. Maybe you can do something. You can be an encourager of things that happen. In fact, Barnabas helped to make connections was one of the ways he encouraged. So the next time you hear of Barnabas, you're in Acts 11, um, 19 to 26. And you hear about this church in Antioch. Yep. And Barnabas has this way of showing up in the most significant of events. And if, if I didn't preach on Barnabas today, most of you wouldn't even realize Barnabas was part of the equation. But this story is how we got the name Christians. So if you call yourself a Christian, you can thank Barnabas. So here's what's happening. Now those who are scattered because of the persecution, right? They're all travel afar, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, right? Um, there were some of them uh, that were coming onto Antioch and they spoke to the Hellenists of the Greeks, right? Preaching the Lord uh, Jesus. Okay, great. Then the hand of the Lord was with them, and so then they actually grew in number, right? And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch, right? Hey, Barnabas, go to this place. Lots of things are happening there. People are accepting Christ. These Greek guys, not even Jews, like, they're accepting Christ. Then when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. Come on, you can do it. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. But what does Barnabas do? He doesn't just bring himself. Barnabas does this. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought Saul to Antioch. He's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to support you. This thing that is happening in your city, in your church, I'm going to bring reinforcements. You are going to grow. You're going to grow so much that for a whole year, Paul then met with the church and taught a great many people. And you know what? You're going to grow so much, the whole reason why we're called Christians, the name that would then stick throughout our whole religion would come from this church. And this would be the place where disciples were first called Christians. And you wouldn't even know Barnabas had a role in it. If, if I didn't preach a message today around Barnabas, tell me, you'd be like, oh yeah, Barnabas, the guy who, who actually pulled Paul in to where the action was happening to accelerate it so that it became the creation of Christianity. The name Christians. There's a, there's a role for when God is doing something and is growing something and they are at the max of their capacity. They can't fit the, the auditorium. They can't. There's a role actually for somebody to go, hey, you know what? I can, I can encourage this. I can bring in some. I know somebody. I can bring in support. I can bring further support in. And that's what we're doing with the White Horse Churches is we're trying to rally together because I think we've hit a little bit of a tipping point in the city of White Horse where we're already meeting with the mayor. We're already meeting with the... We're one of the few local uh, LGAs that has 
28 churches working together across all denominations in unity. But we're at our max. And so we're all pulling in reinforcements right now so that it can go even further. But that's what, that's what Barnabas does in these like key pivotal events. Barnabas provided aid. And so this is actually the next few verses after this, right? In fact, the first time that you hear of Barnabas, he provides aid, but here it is again. This is kind of how he encourages. He encourages by sowing into stuff. Yeah, and so then uh, so the prophets come down from Jerusalem to Antioch, right, because it's all happening. Uh, one of them is named Agabus, stood foretold the Holy Spirit would be there, right? And then the disciples determined everyone according to ability, and they wanted to send relief to brothers living in Judea. They wanted to help out the people that were in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So again, you see Barnabas as the sort of the deliverer of aid. Yep. Um, I saw this firsthand, actually, how resourcing and aid actually enables the kingdom of God to go forward. Uh, with the medical mission that we just came back from, um, we raised $25,000. And all of that 25000 it went to the people of the Philippines. And so we were able to give free medication out. Pastora G, I should have actually put a picture up here, but last weekend, she gave out the free glasses that we made, uh, and she led an entire room of people to the Lord. Yep. Just because we were giving out glasses and preaching the gospel at the same time. So, and these things, they don't happen without a backup crew that is encouraging, supporting, resourcing, sowing into something so that courageous things can happen. But, so here's the little bit of a caveat, right? Um, but, ooh, you know what? I don't have all my slides on here, so it, I actually think I've got more slides than this one that ends with don't just support everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's okay. I'm not going to preach to 1230, so it's okay. Just a heads up warning. Yep. Okay, but here's the thing. Don't just support everything. Maybe you can go to the original PowerPoint that I put in that didn't export fully maybe. Okay, I'll leave that to you. Okay, so here's Barnabas. So far, like he's doing everything really good, right? But he's just a person in the Bible. So you can imagine, he's a kind of like supporter of people, right? But you know what? He's not Jesus. So we all can learn from Barnabas, but we can also learn from Barnabas' mistakes. Did you ever meet somebody who's like a real supporter? They're like a hey, let me champion you. Well, sometimes they need to be corrected because they're echoing and they're supporting the wrong things. In fact, sometimes you meet supporters and they're just blindly doing the thing based on their nature. They're by nature a good encourager and a good supporter. But they need correction. And Barnabas actually needs, actually needs correction. So, if you go to Galatians 2, 11 to 14, you'll come across this story of Barnabas. And I'm, I'm just going through the Bible, talking about Barnabas and where he shows up, right? So, this is literally, I'm not like crafting this sermon. The Bible is crafting this sermon, 
Because these are just the things that Barnabas' name shows up in. So in Galatians, Paul refers to, so this is Paul. uh, um, uh, He is writing to Galatians. Cephas is Peter, okay? So Cephas is Peter, right? And Cephas comes to visit this amazing place in Antioch that's doing some really fantastic things. This is where we get the name Christians. All things are happening, right? But when Peter came, Paul got really upset with Peter. You know why? Because Peter was really worried. Peter was a Jew, right? And Paul was reaching out to the Gentiles. The problem is that the Gentiles were not circumcised. And all the children can ask their parents what circumcised means, right? But they, they had already met up as the church council. Hey, you don't need to be circumcised to be a Christian. Praise the Lord. I don't know how many of us are circumcised yet, right? So, great. But, but, because Peter hung around these Jews who were all circumcised, they all thought that they were a little bit more holy, right? And so Peter actually, um, sorry, um, yeah, Peter actually, Peter actually, when he goes and visits, when nobody's watching, it says here, so when Cephas came to, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, So he's like, hey, I'm happy to hang with you. But then when certain people come from his old church or back from Malaysia where he used to be, you know, people who know him, and they see him hanging around with Gentiles, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Meaning, he's like, okay, if nobody's watching, I'm happy to just hang with you. But as soon as, you know, my mother-in-law shows up or whatever it is, I can't be seen with you. That's, what, that's what's happening in this uh, situation. So then the rest of the Jews, they acted hypocritically along with him. They took Peter's lead so that even Barnabas, the supporter, the encourager, the guy who's like, come on, you can do it. Let's leave those Gentiles alone. Let's just hang with the Jews. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter or Cephas before them all, Hey, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Don't worry about the theological argument. Basically, what are you doing, man? (laughs) You should know better. And Barnabas, why are you just supporting the wrong thing. So what we can learn from Barnabas' life is it's actually really important to sow courage into things. But maybe you're a person, you've got a disposition, you're always supporting, you're always giving, you're always, right? Great. Just be careful what it is that you're supporting and what you're giving because you want to be in step with the truth of the gospel. The Bible actually talks about encouragement a whole lot. And I'm going to just now rattle off a whole bunch of words that actually are used in the Bible 
that are translated as encouragement. Okay? Uh, oikodomen, right? Uh, oiko is like house, right? A uh, means to build up. So the Bible uses the word encouragement as, um, hey, those who are strong have an obligation to build with the failings of the weak, not just to please ourselves, but each of us let's please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So encouragement in the Bible is a little bit like building up a house. Hey, maybe you don't have enough wood. I'll give you some wood to build this house. Hey, let me build up, let me build up my brother because he may not have the infrastructure. He may not have the ability to go and do this thing that is really courageous. But I will build him up. Right? That's one use of it. Another use is parakaleo, or to urge or to implore, which we basically go, therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. There is a sense of this Greek word used in the Bible where it says, hey, you're urging somebody. You're like, hey, come on. Come on, you can do it. It's just a spider in the room. Look how big you are. Look how small that spider is, or whatever it is, right? You can, you can urge, you can implore somebody ahead. Another use is um, parametheomai, right? Which is uh, to console and comfort. So it's not just like urging and imploring. You can go the other end, and you can comfort, you can console, and sow courage into somebody else. So we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol but encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. You can be the kind of encourager who is patient and comforts. And when you meet somebody and they're like, I can't do it. Oh, I don't, I don't want to do it. It is so embarrassing. I don't, I can't. And you can be like, hey, Pastor Chris spoke about you. You're the faint-hearted. Let me encourage you. <laughs> I'm the terror. I'm terror. I'm terrible. Somebody else could do that job, but it's okay. The Bible actually says that there's this role for people for when we don't have the courage or we're faint-hearted for something that other people can come in and encourage you, console, comfort you to do that. In fact, this I found really interesting. Another way... You can encourage people. I don't know if you know this. Like, this is why you need to read the book of Acts. Another way you can encourage people is you can feed them food. <laughs> yeah. Euthymos, cheerful. Then they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. I, I kid you not, read the part that just comes before Acts 27 and 36. Because literally... It is like about food. It's about food. And so you can like, hey, you know what? I know you like lack energy. You're like, ah, let me just feed you and then let's get it done. But there's all kinds of, what I'm trying to explain is actually the Bible is very rich in its explanation of what it means to encourage another person. Barnabas' life is full of examples of not of a person having courage, but of a person being an encourager of another. 
Now, let me just be really clear. Um, I always want to be like really theologically correct uh, with these messages, but you can't fit like all comprehensive theology into one sermon. God is our encouragement. And we could do an entire sermon on how God is supposed to be our, He is our encourager. But this sermon is to get you to encourage your brother and sister. So it's not that it's not true. I'm just not dealing with it at the moment. In fact, God gave us the Holy Spirit. That word paraclete can be also translated encourager, right? And so God Himself, through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, through His own voice, can be our encouragement. I'm just not touching that topic today. Because today's topic is how do we raise up Barnabases? People who build up the courage in other people so that great things can happen for the kingdom of God. That's today's focus. Um, I want to end with actually some real world stories if I could. So, um, I didn't start out life um, very confident. I was actually a really, you, you wouldn't believe it, but if you met me when I was a kid, I was really shy, I was really geeky, I would just sit on my computer uh, and write programs and things. Um, it, before it was even cool to be a nerd or a geek, I was like in that category, right? So I would, I would, um, my teacher would ask, what did everybody do for their school holidays? And I'd be like, I read these 12 books. I did these, whatever, right? Or I would come to school back in those days when they had the printers uh, that were dot matrix printers. I would spend my entire holiday or weekend typing out coordinates. I'd draw a picture on a piece of graph paper, and then I'd type out 12, 23, 12, 24, 12, 25. And then I would recreate by coordinates, every dot on that graph paper so that the next day I could hit print and a dotty picture of whatever I drew would just come out of print. I was like, that was how geeky I am. And I just had no real um, courage or ability to, to go beyond just what I was currently doing. Um, so I remember when I needed courage, actually. I mean, I, I still do need courage and support. But I remember when I was young. And I had all these ideas in my head of things to do, but not the courage to do them. And so I don't know if you know what goes on behind the scenes at FGA. But I want to first call out Uncle Roland, who was probably one of my first encouragers, the founding pastor of this church. Uh, if you meet me on Sunday and you go, wow, this guy, he's always bubbly. He's got this can-do attitude. Like, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I'm just, here are the last two messages that Uncle Roland sent me just recently about my messages. Thanks, Chris. I was just listening to your message today. That was great preaching. Then the one before that, I just, Chris, that was a fantastic message today. I think your personal best. I learned much from it and was best. And Auntie Eve said it was better than Bill Johnson's message. <laughs> More people 
should have heard your message. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you, behind the scenes, these are the things that are happening. You only see the stuff that is on the outside. But in every ministry, with every home group leader, with everyone who is doing courageous things, there are people who are encouraging that person. They are sowing courage into that person. Um, But Uncle Roland did more than just words. Uncle Roland gave me a go. He opened the door for a crazy kid's pastor crazy youth pastor. He resourced it. When he was the senior pastor, he allowed, he built up the infrastructure. He like like building a house and said, now you can go and do courageous things. He opened the door for us to go to Philippines. He opened the door for us to reach out to the community even. Like great. You know this building that we are in right now? This building that we are in? This building was built on encouragement. If you're new here and you've only arrived post-2017, maybe you don't know this. But many years ago, like five plus years ago, we didn't, we were much smaller back then actually. We were, our average size was 300. Our tithes and offerings was less than half what it is today. And we had this building, but it was just like an empty warehouse. And we were actually kind of surviving because we would rent out the area, right? And we'd get money and then we'd pay off our, our, our loan. And then after we paid off our loan, we were like, even Stephen. But we needed 2.3, 2.5, I can't remember what it was, 2 point something million to actually renovate this place and get it ready to use as a, as a church, a place of worship. We needed that. But we didn't have the courage to actually go get a massive loan. And we didn't actually have the courage to take that step. So we were like, hey, let's just keep setting up every week at Kingsword. We can, we can kind of do this. And as a leadership, we went, hey, we've been praying about it. If we are able to raise $1 million, because we want to be good stewards. We don't want to just have this massive debt. But if we can raise $1 million, of the two point something that we needed, before we even get started, then we'll go ahead with this project. Right? And I saw our church rally. We raised that one million in a month. And I want you to think about that because we're now double the size. And I think it would be a struggle for us to raise a million in a month. But I remember back then, and when we raised the million in a month, what kind of courage it gave us to then begin building this place. And then we are here now. And we've doubled in size. And we're reaching out to the community of Whitehorse like we dreamed we would. Our church needs to do courageous things. And you have not been saved. We have not been called to this church to just sit around and do things that lack courage. But some of us, we're not going to get the courage just by ourselves. Even this church, 
just by ourselves, just in the leadership, we didn't even have the courage to actually get going on this place. It took our whole church to rally behind, to have that kind of encouragement where we encouraged one another, not for terrible things or, or useless stuff, but for the good things of the kingdom of God. And I'd love to see that continue to happen in FGA. I think we should encourage more drummers to do drumming. I was great walking into like, how many drummers were there on that drummer night? Like 10? 20? I looked like about like 20 people. Like FGA is either going to get a lot of drummers or you're going to hear really bad drummers 20 weeks in a row. <laughs> Doesn't matter because we're going to encourage them. You know, but then we've got like 50 people that have done mission trips this year. Great. The line dancers, my goodness, there's 180 line dancers. We're like, yeah, come on, go. They're performing in July. That's fantastic. We want to encourage great things to, to happen. Home group leaders. Maybe somebody doesn't have the confidence or the courage to step up to be a home group leader. But if the home group rallies behind, Maybe that person may be a new home group leader. And does FGA need more home group leaders? You bet it. Does the kingdom of God need more home group leaders? Absolutely. And so we need to not just be the people with the courage. We need to be the encouragers of other people. That's why I really like this verse here. In Romans, when Paul kicks off, he says, For I long to see you, that I might impart to you some, something, some spiritual gift. Just to strength, I just want to strengthen you. That is, actually, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. So this is a, a little bit of a different Sunday message where a normal Sunday message would be, hey, be a man, be a woman, have courage yourself. I want to actually land this on how will you sow courage? Because I think FJ will do really amazing things for the kingdom of God if we raise up Barnabas's sons of encouragement in this house. People who champion, but not just verbally, who resource, who make connections, who build up the infrastructure, who in the full sense of the word, encourage. That's why I think one of the things that uh, is um, great for us going on, we, we're actually finishing our real world series today, right? And then our next series, would you believe it, is teach us to pray. And I know you're looking at that, you're going, Man, has the Jeffersons taken over our series? Okay, only 10% only of people will get it. It's okay. Um, yeah, maybe less, 5%. You know, um, I just want to shout out to Hanson because Hanson's been doing like this amazing work doing our graphic design stuff. He's great, you know, um, uh, with our video and he does all of our announcements and things like that. Really, really fantastic. But... We're going to the series. Should we go to prayer week? We're going to the Lord's Prayer. 
uh, for our home groups in the future. And then we're launching Teachers to Pray next week. But one of the ways that we can encourage ourselves to build up courage is to actually begin doing that in our prayer lives. I'm hoping that we will actually give each other courage to say no to a night of watching Netflix, give each other courage to, to maybe disappoint a few friends and come along to prayer things, that we will, as a church, sow into a season where we know, actually, it's not determined by FGA. We know God is doing a season of prayer in this coming week. And so the question is whether we're going to be part of it or we're not going to be part of it. Yep. And I think all great things require courage. And so what I want to do in this as we close is actually want to encourage you to pray. Encourage you to pray. To sow into you that, hey, you can do it. You can actually revive your prayer life. You can actually come with other people. You'll meet people that you know. Maybe you'll meet people you don't know, right? And we can do it together because together we can encourage yourself and myself. Things that are good for the kingdom of God. So as I close, maybe we can all take a moment to reflect on how we will sow courage going forward to someone else. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer and then I'm going to invite Mayan up and we might, we might do an altar call. But I want to I just close this in prayer with us taking this moment as we reflect. God, how do you want me to encourage your good work in the kingdom? Father, I just pray for each person here. I thank you for the life of Barnabas and thank you for your scripture that tells us that we are to be encouragers. Um, today, help us to write down, remember, bring to attention, open our eyes, help us to see areas where we can encourage our brother or our sister to continue doing the good work of God, to step up into their calling, to use their gifts and their talents to make a difference in the world. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us today to think really carefully about your call towards encouragement and that this church would be a church that encourages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go, um, 